All right. So thank you, Vernita, for your time. Um, I'll do a little back end and front end. So this is my very first time recording. Vernita is an influencer and a superstar. So she encouraged me to record video. So I'm a little nervous, but thank you, Vernita. Thank you, Sonia. So I'll start with an introduction, then we'll chat, and then I'll ask questions. Okay. All right. So hi, I'm Sonia J. Killebrew, and this is Black America and COVID. I'm a Black American, I'm an educator, and I'm a writer. And I started this podcast during this Black History Month of 2022 because I wanted to provide a platform for Black Americans to share their stories about loved ones or friends or even acquaintances who they sadly lost to COVID-19. I wanted to memorialize their lives. And I want to know who were these Black Americans who are getting COVID-19. And then I also want to hear how Black Americans felt about the COVID-19 vaccine, how they felt about the mask mandate, and how they felt about staying at home in 20 and 2021 or working in person during the pandemic. I was curious to know if the city or state affected how they felt about the vaccine, the mask mandate, and I also want to contextualize the apprehension that a lot of Black Americans have to the vaccine. And I just want to mention them, the Tuskegee syphilis study, which if you haven't heard of it, anyone who's watching, I encourage you to look it up. Um, in a nutshell, white medical doctors watched uh, about 400 Black American men die from syphilis, even though there was a treatment for the disease. And so this kind of puts into context the distress that Black Americans feel for the medical industry. There's countless other studies um, that you can look at to see how slaves are mistreated, brutally um, killed in the name of medical research. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with Renita today. I, I'd love to hear her speak. She has an amazing presence on social media and I encourage everyone to look her up. I will put her, her, um, her social media in the show notes. So without further ado, welcome Renita. Thank you. <laughs> um, tell us your name. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you again so much, Sonia, for having me. Um, for anyone I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Bernita Adele White. I am an award-winning writer, creative, and social entrepreneur. Uh, I definitely sit deeply in the equity and inclusion and anti-racism space as a consultant and executive producer. And so I'm really excited to have this conversation because, Sonia, I, have, I feel like I have stories. <laughs> I'm so around, you know, and I thought it was so powerful just as you created the context that you just shared around what prompted you to create this podcast, to do this series. So I'm very honored to, to be part of it. Thank you for asking me to um, lend a voice because I think there, there is no shortage of need for our voices to be heard. Thank you. Thank you for the encouragement of videotaping. So I watch your, your Insta stories and you're so charismatic. So thank you. Thank you. Um, so where are you from? So originally, I actually grew up in upstate New York, Rochester, New York, uh, by way of both all of my family is from New Orleans, Louisiana. So uh, yes, both of my parents are, are born and raised in New Orleans. My mother's from the uh, on the West Bank in Algiers. My father's from the Lower Ninth Ward. They met in college in, in at Dillard University. And then uh, and I had my brother. My brother's also from New Orleans. And then it's like, it's just me. Like <laughs> my parents moved to Rochester before I was born. Uh, so my dad was a research chemist at Kodak. And um, my mom went on to be the first African-American woman to be admitted and graduate from the University of Buffalo Dental School. Wow. And then, and became the first African-American woman to own and operate her own dental practice in Western New York. And so, um, you know, a lot of, they have a lot of good years. My parents just graduated there. 50th wedding anniversary in Rochester, which was just this past November. And so um, it's ties to both. You know, I, I definitely, am, I, I grew up in Rochester, but my heart is very much um, 
with my kind of extended family, my broader family in New Orleans. Wow, congratulations to your parents, 50 years. Yeah. Wow, that's a milestone. And, and I, I would love for everyone to hear that you went to Cornell. <laughs> <laughs> so funny, so funny. So yes, that's true. And not far from Rochester. Cornell is just two hours from Rochester, which is ironic because I always had envisioned myself like going far away for school. But um, I am a graduate of Cornell University. I was a textile and apparel management major there. Mm-hmm. And then um, I went on to receive my MBA in international business from the European Business School in London, England. And um, it's exciting. You know, there, I've had this opportunity to kind of do a, a mix and mashup of my degrees and passion. And, I, and I'm excited to talk about the integration of of anti-racism and fashion and being able to um, use fashion to raise our voice and, and messages and, and for us to thrive, as we say, Black Queen Thrive. And you're wearing one of your shirts right now? I am, I am. So the, um, my, my anti-racism brand is called America's Hot Sauce. The term America's Hot Sauce, that is from a quote in an article that I published at the end of 2020, um, calling out systemic racism at Town and Country Magazine and the Hearst Corporation, which is a former uh, client of mine. And really in this period, in this post-George Floyd movement and, and time, I just went through, a, I, I really went through a reckoning, a reckoning with my experience um, with race, racism, and my life as a Black woman in the United States, as a Black American, as a direct descendant of American slavery. And part of that reckoning was realizing how much I had been accepting things as the status quo and how much I've been playing my role. Because for the system, the structure of white supremacy to work, it's because everybody has a role to play, including Black people. And I've been playing my role, however unconsciously, um, because it's something that most all of us are indoctrinated from birth to play play our role. Mm-hmm. And so in the process of writing this article and having this experience, I recognized that it wasn't just as much of, you know, in my situation being passed over for opportunity. I also share the stories of two black former employees, one of town and country proper and one of hers. It was also this much bigger narrative as I really kind of got into the history of town and countries and brands like it, it really became evident that there's such, there's a lot of work to do around holding brands accountable around the exploitation of our black star power. Mm. You know, this history of the exploitation of our black celebrity influence, fashion, style, music, um, all in the name of helping these brands stay relevant, be Mm -hmm. cool, to sell more products and services, but they have no commitment to the Black community behind the scenes. And often, too often, behind the scenes, they systematically oppress opportunity and advancement for Black employees, contractors, and suppliers. So I was like, enough is enough. It's time for calling accountability. And it's time for us to, to take rightfully right ownership of our creativity, of our star power, because in fact, as we know, Black people are the definitive hot sauce on an otherwise bland white America. And that is, that's the quote from the article that has now lent the name to the brand America's Hot Sauce. And I'll, I'll definitely put a link to the article. It's in Town and Country. It's really moving. I oh, it's, actually, it's in, it's about Town and Country, but the article is actually in The Daily Beast. Thank you. Daily Beast. So I'll definitely put that in the show notes so anyone who's listening or watching can read Renita's article. So how about we, so I'll ask you, so during the pandemic, were you working in person or working from home? Like, Well, I definitely, I have been working from home since March of 2020. And truth be told, it's interesting. This is one, um, one of what I feel I like the several double-edged swords when it comes to the pandemic. So working from home is in part what gave me the space to write the article, right? So working from home 
um, losing my business for all intents and purposes. You know, I, as a, uh, my primary hat prior to the pandemic was as an event executive producer, of which case um, Town & Country was one of my event clients. Mm-hmm. And as everything went virtual, well, I shouldn't say everything. As some things went virtual, a lot of things got canceled altogether. And, and what my experience was, was the majority of my clients canceling. So I actually spent a lot of time and energy at the beginning of the pandemic trying to navigate and gain access to the resources that were being made available for small business owner and particularly for kind of single member LLC, which was myself. Um, But I don't think that had I been working full steam ahead and life as usual have been happening, I don't know if I would have had the emotional bandwidth to um, kind of put it all on the line with this article. And it was about a four month process working from home. And um, so I have a lot of gratitude that I had the space to do that. I don't know if I would have otherwise, but yeah, I've been, I have not, I had an office space in lower Manhattan and I have not been in that space since March of 2020. Mm. So, okay, so the pandemic started, all the events were, in-person events were canceled. So then you pivoted to working from home. And I know that you have a very big presence on an online platform. I like, I don't know if you want to talk about, you have thousands of followers um, on Clubhouse. So do you want to talk about how you pivoted into the online, like, events? Yeah, and again, it's, it's interesting because like a lot, so much of it began so much of this transition began with the article. Um, at the time in November of 2020, the article came out in October. And in November t- in 2020, I was invited to this new online platform called Clubhouse. And um, at the time you had to be invited and I was invited in part because the article presented a need for further conversation. And really I wanted, I jumped onto the platform and immediately kind of created a four part series around different aspects from the article, you know, talking about the hot sauce, talking about um, Black people having an understanding of how to value ourselves, closing the pay gap. Um, can Black people trust HR in corporate America, which has definitely been one of, still to this day one of my biggest rooms to date. And the and it was something that I just got because I think there's so many of us have different platforms that we gravitate towards. For some people, it's Instagram. For some people, it's Twitter, Facebook. And I've always been um, someone who found it challenging, and I still find it challenging, on um, a platform like Instagram to, to do all the photos, do all the filters. And it's like, ah, like every week, it's like, ah, I got to do a photo shoot. Got time for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But some people do it seamlessly, like they just they just got it. And then for me, when I came to Clubhouse, Clubhouse is an audio, a social audio app where it's really about your voice, just showing up, being yourself and speaking from your authentic place. And I was like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. I like and then I think it also came at a time with the pandemic, working from home, spending so much time on all and really being in quarantine because it really wasn't just working from home we have to remember that when the pandemic started it was like isolation lockdown it was very minimal interacting with other people and for me it should be told even now it's still very minimal acting um interacting with other people but then it was even more severe you know just being in the brownstone that i live in in brooklyn i now live in brooklyn new york you know, everybody, you know, having a mask, having three neighbors, but everybody have a mask if you pass one another, if you see the landlord and um, not speaking to anyone, if you you know saw somebody outside or anything like that. So it's like very, very, very isolated. And Clubhouse also presented this opportunity to connect with people. And um, and so I had a lot of gratitude for that, that here was this platform, here was the opportunity to not only extend the conversation around issues that I found, find important and I'm passionate about, but then it was just a new opportunity to build community. So it's, it has been exciting, um, you know, to become a clubhouse influencer, but I'm also just even more so grateful for the people that I've met on the app, 
Um, and the conversations that we've been able to have, you know, that what started with this article has now allowed me to really explore what does anti-racism work look like? And yes, there's this corporate piece, but the reason why my, my sweatshirt here, one of the themes is, you know, it says Black Queen Thriving, because the longer I've kind of been in this work and started connecting with people and learning more about their stories in terms of how racism and the systems of oppression have impacted them, is as I came to realize that the true antithesis to white supremacy is Black people thriving. Mm. It's our thriving, our self-love, our self-care, mm-hmm. taking action to release our trauma, going through transformation, like that is revolution. Oh, I agree. So, yeah, like I love your, your slogan, self-care is the revolution. Yes, like loving ourselves, you know that that slogan like success is the best revenge, but loving mm-hmm. ourselves, that's really showing people. So you mentioned wearing masks, like your neighbors wearing masks. So how do you feel about like are you anti-mask? Are you pro-mask? Are you neutral? Like what do you think about the mask mandate? Because we were required to wear masks um 2020, 2021. Now they've lifted the mask mandate, I think. Well, I think here in New York, it's still it's it's still touch and go because now we have the, the vaccine warning woven in there too. So the first part of the um, pandemic, I think I've always been, I think I, I've never had an issue with wearing the mask from a like kind of practical understanding standpoint. Like, okay, if this is our greatest tool to prevent the spread of COVID-19, then like, okay, like I'll do it. Because I also, for me personally, I just, I don't want to be responsible for giving someone else COVID. And just because, and I did have COVID. I had COVID at the beginning of the pandemic. I don't know exactly when I had it. And I'm also grateful that I was asymptomatic. I just know that I had sometime, sometime between March and June of 2020, I had it. Mm-hmm. And then I tested positive for the antibodies in July of 2020. Just like at a physical. So I think, I'm, I mean, for me, wearing the mask was just a matter of like, I don't want to be responsible of, of passing this on to someone else who might have a different outcome than me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I lost people who were close, close to me. A lot of people who I'm close to, they lost people who were close to them. And people are still dying now. Like, that's, that's you know, it's like, it's not as much as in our face in the media now as it was a year ago or two years ago. But like people are, you know, my family, just um, a really close friend of our family, just called a couple of weeks ago to say his, his younger sister passed away. This is a woman in her late 40s, early 50s, um, COVID. And so, um, yeah, never, but I will say this though, I, um, the probably one exception that I gave myself was being outside and exercising. So when the, when the pandemic first started, you know, I would always, I would carry a mask with me, but if I was jogging, I, I did find it hard to be like, I'm a jog and I'm a workout with a mask on in the middle of summer. It was a lot. That <laughs> was a lot. Yeah. So, you know, I would just try to do my best to stay socially distanced. If I see somebody coming, you know, keep my distance from them. But yeah, I, I, I have not, I don't, I haven't quite grasped the understanding of the person who was just like, I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm going to the grocery store and that's just how I feel about it. And I'm just like, I'll get it. I'm unmasked and I'm unvaccinated and I'm just out here. I I don't get it. Yeah. I want to say sorry for your loss. And I was wondering if you could share more stories about people who you know who passed from COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that, that friend of the family was most recent and, that has actually really been the close. I feel very fortunate. I don't have any immediate family members, like a like a parent or aunt, uncle or something like that, that passed from COVID. So I'm, I am grateful for that. Um, we did have, um, I did lose a godfather at the um, this time last year. Probably, no, I think he still passed in 2020. And then... Um, and he was a, uh, a DJ in the, the one Black-owned radio station in Rochester. Oh, 
Oh, wow. For, for many years. He was like the originator of the, the quiet storm. And he then had moved to Atlanta and he got, you know, got COVID in Atlanta and he was about the age of 60. Um, but probably the experience that impacted me the most when I talk about this isolation, I actually also went through uh, a breakup of a romantic relationship right as the pandemic was starting. And so like that's not fun. I don't recommend that for anybody. Like it's not, it, it wasn't a good, it was not the best experience because you're you're going through a breakup. I can't go hang out with my friends. You know, you're in the house. Like it was, it, that made it kind of double down rough. But um, my uh, ex-boyfriend at the time, he lost his father to wow. COVID very early in the pandemic. And um, just being kind of, you know, still being in contact with him, still being connected with him and doing my best to support him through that experience, like that was difficult. That was, you know, seeing firsthand where the hospitals were full. Um, there was, you weren't able to go and visit your loved ones or family members. It really was just like kind of sitting at home waiting for a phone call. Um, the, the, the funeral homes were full, like not being able to find a funeral home to make your arrangements, like all that just makes it all the more, I know for me, it made the situation more traumatizing because you can't fully say goodbye or honor or mourn the person. So at the time I wrote, um, so prior to, you know, the writing in the Daily Beats, I had written, I wrote, wrote several articles at the beginning of the pandemic, one of which was around Know, maintaining gratitude in the midst of COVID-19, but part within the context of this piece about gratitude, I very much wrote about the experience of being with my ex-boyfriend as this transition was happening with his father um, dying of COVID. And um, it's, it's, it's probably one of the things that will always stick out to me the most because it happened so quickly. It was like, days. It, it was not, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was, you know, everything is okay on Monday and passed on Friday. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry to hear. What, and just to clarify for the audience, he was a Black American? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, uh, Black American, uh, Caribbean. Yeah. And, um, and and kind of all of the things that we talked about then, you know, uh, mid seventies pre existing conditions, mm -hmm. and um, here in New York, uh, in the Bronx, mm -hmm. and it just ha it happened very quickly. Wow, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic how scary it was because, like you said, we were isolated. It was scary to go to the supermarket. Like, can you describe yeah. the process? Like. Were you wiping down groceries with like Clorox wipes and Lysol? Like, so just for like, um, for if someone in the future is watching this video, can you just take us through like what it was like to go to the grocery store during the early stages of the pandemic? Yes, yes. Oh gosh, and it's it's interesting that uh, you know, coming on two years later, I'm again as you're asking me these questions, I'm like, thank you for thinking to do this because. It is this storytelling that will help to one only inform the future, but also for me, it's like a healing process that's happening right now. Because it's like those, there was fear and trauma and all these things that happened. So the things that probably stuck out to me the most, I don't know if anybody will ever forget, just like the run on groceries and everybody being like, "Oh my God, toilet paper!" And like, like toilet paper. yes, right. And then like the grocery stores being empty, you couldn't get any products. It was like, and, and Target was empty. Like I remember going to Target, and it was like I ended up buying. I want to say I ended up buying like a four pack of Kleenex boxes as a backup to toilet paper because like everything was gone. Everything was gone, right? So you had to imp start improvising. But just like for local um, grocery shopping, definitely, yes, being masked up and then also having gloves. Remember when everybody had the yeah. latex gloves yeah. um, to try not to touch anything? And the 
wiping things. I remember, you know, bringing things home and often, well, some people, I know I had some people who were like, I leave my groceries outside overnight to make sure the virus has died and then (laughs) bring them inside. But I remember definitely washing fruits and vegetables before putting them in the refrigerator, Mm -hmm. Um, wiping down boxes or, you know, any kind of container before putting it away. And it was exhausting. It was. It was exhausting because you just didn't know what was effective. And um, I think the other thing, too, was also the the Uber ride. So I use I think that the pandemic has highlighted for me. I had a car for a long time in New York. I had a car in New York for like 15 years. Mm-hmm. And um, but coming into the pandemic, and I had just returned from Australia. This is and this all still feels very divinely ordered. It's like I had a three month sabbatical in Australia, volunteering on organic farms and traveling right before the pa- pandemic, like December 2019 to February 2020. Wow. And back and then it's like quarantine. And you know, I'm while I'm traveling, I'm I'm hearing about the pandemic. And whatnot. And I think I finally started, I went and looked for a mask, but then like all, all the pharmacies in Australia, well, I was in, um, in Tasmania and none of them, they were all out there. Nobody had a mask. And uh, when I got to the Philippines, a friend of mine, she gave me a mask, but they already had masks anyways. <laughs> That's what, you know, in the parts of Asia, they were already doing the mask thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, just but so all that to be said now no longer having a car and relying on uber i remember just like getting out of the uber with the groceries and the guy was like trying to help me get my groceries out there and i'm like dude like i don't need that's okay like don't touch my groceries because i don't know where you're you know it's like it's, it's a whole different world now from you know previously and you know sitting in the back and having some of the Uber drivers having the plastic mm-hmm. to divide the front seat and the back seat on top of wearing a mask. And so I think there's definitely a lot of memories to what that time was like. And I also remember expending an exorbitant amount of money because it was like, one, you got to get what you can get while you can get it. And mm-hmm. then two, it's like, I'm not coming out again tomorrow. So stock up. Right. For at least a week. You reminded me, I forgot like how we, cause we didn't know how the virus was spreading or how contagious it was. So like I was wiping all my groceries down with Clorox and I had friends who would like get home, take all their clothes off. Like they didn't want like their outside clothes inside or leave mm-hmm. groceries outside overnight because it was cold. It was still cold in March. And also the, the lines to get into the grocery store, like I would, oh, wait, yeah. I, would wait, I would wait like an hour, at least two hours. Like, did you have to wait? It's funny you brought that up. So depending on the store, but more specifically, so my, um, you know, I mentioned spending part of that time with my ex-boyfriend. And so he was all about Trader Joe's and I, I'm a Whole Foods shopper. So it's like, yes. it's like, let's go to Trader Joe's. And I was like, all right, we'll go to Trader Joe's in downtown Brooklyn. And to your point, there was like a three hour line outside of Trader Joe's. I was like, this is crazy. And everybody's, you know, down the street, around the corner, yep. social distance. Yep. And I just looked at him like, we gonna, we, gonna, we gonna wait in this line we're gonna wait in this line so then we walk over to the whole foods there's no line to get in the whole foods so we just walked right in yes i mean trader joe's has deals I, I suppose i know he was like and he did say that too he was like everything's so expensive here and i was like but we done it's opportunity cost we are here and we are out. You tell us, that's right. You're the economist, right? Opportunity costs. Yes. Right. Spend money, save time, spend time, save money. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, the, these are definitely memories. And then I think probably the last thing I would want to add to that in terms of shopping in general, um, it's like the boom of e-commerce, right? So that's like my next business, my next business venture, as I looked at like, okay, how am I going to pivot? How am I going to find new ways to um, reinvent myself, really? It's like the boom of, like now we just moved to delivery for as much 
so as many things as possible. So like Amazon blew up during the pandemic, yeah. all these online platforms, everybody's looking for a way for it to be either entertained or watch movies, finding new ways to connect with other people. And um, so I definitely still am kind of mapping my way into that space because I don't think it's not going away. Um, I think it really highlighted the impact of retail and fast fashion because everybody stopped shopping uh, in your traditional brick and mortar stores at the beginning of the pandemic. So all of a sudden there was just this ridiculous amount of clothing that was already problematic, but it became unavoidable to look at how the carbon footprint of the fashion industry and the fashion industry actually is the second the world's second largest pollutant after the oil industry mm. and so it's, it it really pushed the industry to start making some hard changes um because it, it really became evident in the pandemic some of the things that were really harming us in the long run Wow, you just reminded me, I think, because I wasn't leaving my home in early 2020. It's like I go to the grocery store once a week and I was just at home. And I think towards the end of 2020, I had to go buy jeans because I gained a little weight. I was not out walking and the gyms had closed. And I went I went into the city um, on 34th Street because I shop at um, American Eagle because they had like the stretching fit jeans and they were closed and I was like oh my god 34th near 5th but then I went to another one that was also closed and that was the first time I saw like all these businesses in the city were closed and a lot of homeless people were like living on the sidewalk in front of the businesses like I I was on the subway I don't know if you take the subway but I so I read about um, the heroin lean. I read a lot of books about recovering drug addicts. And I saw a lot of people in Manhattan doing the heroin lean. And I was like, wow, because there's literally no one, no one was out and about in 2020, even right. early 2021. And like my heart was breaking because I was like, if I'm working from home online, I can only imagine people who were working in person and and their jobs went away. So if you were going out, did you notice businesses closing or more homeless people? Yes, yes. I would say yes to both. I was gonna say, I don't think I've heard about the heroin lean. I don't think I ever stumbled upon it directly, but I will say that my trips into Manhattan, I went, you know, my previous pre-pandemic life was going into Manhattan like every day, like every day, with the exception of maybe a Sunday. Yeah. But like every day in Manhattan and not even just like one one place. It was like around yep. running all over New York City like a chicken with my head cut off, yep. which is, is which is one. And again, the double edged sword that I talked about, this paradox of the pandemic is that I was simultaneously praying for rest and for a different um, experience in life, a different experience with the city. And then it came in this very dramatic and impactful way but it's like I don't run around New York City like a chicken with their head cut off anymore I ain't there ain't no reason where am I going right so now it's like a field trip I'm going into Manhattan I need to plan because I'm I'm whatever I'm doing that day that is going to be the day of hitting all the things because I'm not coming back tomorrow yeah so um yes definitely you know taking the subway definitely masked up on the subway and for the most part I feel like um, people have maintained wearing masks, you know, that oh, every now and again, there's always like that one person that's not, and it's just like, why? Or, and I definitely have witnessed a couple of like altercations on the train because yeah. some, one person got a mask and it's like, I remember this guy was, this guy was coughing and this other dude was like, yo, you can't be out here with no mask and you coughing, blah, blah, blah. And the dude ended up, they ended up getting in a fight. Because, you know, the other one's like, like, you're not going to tell me what to do. So it's, you know, so I think that the anxiety for everybody has, you know, drastically went up. Um, I definitely encourage like folks to still, particularly if you're still working from home now, two years later, get outside every day. Um, I make it a point to get outside every day, 
98% of the time. Yeah. Rain or shine because I need it. I, I you know, I got to get the walk around the neighborhood. Um, I need to see other human beings. I need fresh air. Um, I just need that like reset to life in the outside world. Yeah. And then I can kind of come in and try to refocus and, and show up for the, the task at hand for the day. But it, it's still very challenging. I feel, I still feel the pain of daily isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but I will say that the connections that we can do virtually, I'm so grateful that I have a number of connection points that I get on, you know, every talk about things that blew up zoom um because of the pandemic and i have had the benefit of like you know some set family chats like i have one this afternoon like every other sunday my parents and my older brother and i like are very intentional about um having like virtual time together my brother and his family live in atlanta having virtual time together just to like catch up stay connected and then I was also grateful that because of my being an entrepreneur and, you know, changes in business and that flexibility that became as a result of the pandemic, I was also able to go home for a month. So I just spent the last uh, month, the beginning of this year in in Rochester um, as my, my mother's recovering from sh- shoulder surgery. Mm-hmm. It was just really nice to like be at home and like be around people for a sustained period of time. Absolutely. It's so good to hear that you go out every day. Uh, you know, I want to get there. I just don't like the cold, but. Oh. I know. I, I mean, I don't either. See, I was, this, is, this is my thing about it. Even if it's like up the block and back, yeah, it's totally worth it. So when it's nice outside, I might, I, I will walk longer. Yeah. I will tell you all the things. All the, <laughs> but then when it's cold, I'm like, even if I walk this one block, it's, it makes, it does make a difference. And that it's funny. That's, that's actually a, an action that someone suggested to me. And um, because when the pandemic first started, I was staying in the house and say, on a weekend, yeah. you know, shut down on Friday, don't come back out till Monday. But over time, that was not a good practice. It, it definitely started to press on my, my mental health. And I think that's a, a big piece that, you know, can't go, left unsaid about our the experience of the pandemic and its impact on our mental health mm-hmm. yeah I'm glad you brought that up because I as terrified as I was of the of the virus I finally I got the vaccine in early 2021 and I did a lot of research and then I I watched the Tyler Perry episode with the doctors where they talked about why the vaccine was safe. So then I got the vaccine. I started walking outside more. Oh, and you said something. What did you just say? I just, um, Oh, the, about our mental health. Yes. And so part of me taking care of myself was making sure that I, I got a therapist so I could talk to once a week because the isolation was, it was overwhelming. And I, I like being alone. Um, I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I'm a reader and a writer. But after like five or six months, I was like, I need people. And I'm not used to that. I used to be like, I got to go home so I can read, like read my books. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I was an extrovert, I'd be a mess right now. So like, I just wanted to say, oh, and my parents, like my dad, he was a psychologist. Um, He passed away in 2009, but he was a clinical psychologist. And my parents, um, thank you. My parents actually met in graduate school. They're both getting master's degrees in psychology. Um, And so I'm, I know like a lot of Black Americans don't believe in in therapy, but because I grew up basically a therapist and my mom was a social worker and a teacher, and for me, therapy was like second nature. Like, okay, you're sad, talk to someone. Like, I I never felt like, I was never like depressed or crazy, but I was like, I need tools so that I don't keep eating pints of ice cream. I like my clothes and I want to wear my clothes so I don't know if you want to talk about like mental health um, yeah yeah no absolutely absolutely so I think it, it really blends back into you know the part of the platform for America's hot sauce really saying like self-care is the revolution for black people 
and you hit the nail on the head that when it comes to the stigma around addressing our mental health Mm -hmm. or getting additional support that runs through the Black community, um, it is one of our our greatest points to overturn because it is as long as Black people are sick, addicted, or otherwise incapacitated, white supremacy wins. The system, the system of oppression wins because that it is, it will keep us from our full ability to thrive, not addressing our mental health. And so I recognize in this kind of going through the period of the pandemic that, wow, like not only is self-care a revolution or it's revolutionary for Black people to really learn how to take care of ourselves, to really learn how to love ourselves. But then I also realized that the stigma around addressing our mental health in the Black community does not actually come from us. Like that too is a part of the system, the narrative that has been infiltrated to us. So it's like, well, where did this come from? You know, how did we get to this point of separation where it's like Black people, we just, we just go, Black people don't go to therapy, we go to church. But, but therapy being this thing that white people do. And it's like, no, no, no. See, the, it's the, the system, the game of we're going to traumatize you and then we're going to tell you that something's wrong with you if you get help for that trauma. That's systematic and it's, it's diabolical, really. <laughs> it's maniacal. So um, for me, I have been on the, a mental health journey now for over a decade. I um, feel very passionate about doing, taking every action that I can to release the traumas that I've experienced, which are you know, numerous as many of us have, um, because I want to thrive. I really believe that as I want to do this work, um, I want to be fully available to enter into a loving long-term relationship and marriage. I, be- I believe like thriving Black families is the antithesis to white supremacy. So we might have a long journey ahead to justice if justice can never be realized. I have a tendency in my work in the day and now to really focus on equity. Because it's like, okay, well, what can we do right here and now with what we have? Equity. But personally, you know, if I'm thriving, if I'm happy, healthy, successful, wealthy, free, like that is counter to everything that is designed for me not to be those things because of the color of my skin. So, yeah, I'm all down for therapy. Um, I have an individual therapist. I have support groups that I'm a part of. I have um, and we now have family therapy. So even as I talked about my my parents and brother and I having this bi-weekly family chat, that came as a result of us um, going into family therapy towards the end of 20, towards the end of 2020, going into 2021. So it's been a little bit more than a year. And um, it took time, believe me, that it probably took five or six years from the first time I suggested it um, to my mom, because it was in the spirit of like, I wanted to have uh, my mom and I to have a better relationship in the way that we communicate with one another. And so it took time because my parents were like, therapy. <laughs> but yeah. now that we're in it, and even my brother, my brother was like, well, why are we going to do this? But now that we're in it, they're like, they're all in it. And, you know, my brother especially is like, you know, yeah, this was good. You know, I'm glad that we started doing this so that we could start healing and have better relationships with other. And that and that healing part is what I mean about whole, um, healthy, happy, thriving black families. It's not so much that I see a black family is only supposed to look a certain way or have a heteronormative lens to it. One man, woman, and 2.5 kids. Now our black families come in many different ways, shapes, and forms. Mm-hmm. But the revolution is our connectedness our wholeness, like actually having healed, healthy, happy relationships within our family um, against the backdrop of the systems that are designed for the breakdown of the Black family, for us to be separate. And everybody's just out here doing their own thing. You know, nobody's connected to, to our people. That is, that is the work. So I'm all for addressing our mental health. And it's, and it's unfortunate that to have, I think it's always challenging 
to witness people in our lives who just who maybe aren't there yet who you can you know might be you might see them in pain or see them um short of the thriving that they could have um if they were willing to address or, or to get help or to and people that we've lost I mean there's just way um way too many young black people and I mean 20s 30s 40s who have chosen to stop living because and and I guess we we never know the full story of someone who makes that choice but it it really that that one I always have a difficult time with versus you know could something have gone differently if we had a different lens around getting support and our mental and emotional and spiritual health. I'm glad you brought that up because like towards the end of 20 and 2021, there are more songs coming out about suicide. And and I I hypothesize it's a result of being um, isolated during the pandemic and not having resources or people not people not feeling comfortable or feeling ashamed or afraid to share what they're going through. And I remember I was shocked. Like every once in a while on social media, I'll see a post like rest in power, so-and-so, rest in peace. And, it, and when they take their own lives, it's, it's, um, it's really sad. I had a couple of black male friends who posted about, uh, I, I didn't know him, uh, a black man who took his life. And I thought like, why is that because of the pandemic? Are they casualties of, not finding a job or not earning enough money or getting sick or like long COVID is real. There are people who have long-term effects. Um, I read an article in the New York Times, this man became um, psychotic. Like somehow mm-hmm. yeah. it, was, it was stunning. He was a photographer and after getting COVID, he like his, um, his wife, she, um, I forgot the right terminology, but he had to go into a hospital, a mental health hospital and he, I don't know if he was, I don't know, I don't want to say he was schizophrenic, I'll find the article, but um, like long COVID, it has so many effects on us in so many different ways. So I'm glad you brought up mental health. Oh, so did you get the vaccine or do you want to talk about it? Or how do you- So I did get the, I did get vaccinated. I got the Johnson and Johnson one shot. Um, and truly, so I actually still have mixed feelings about it. I, I think there's part of me that in the end, I got the vaccine to um, be able to be around people yeah, and yeah. wanting to like be able to be around my family or wanting to be able to go out. But I, I do have mixed feelings. Like I, there is part of me that still feels like we have no idea what the long-term effects of the, of the vaccine will be. It came out so fast. And um, I, have, I do not plan to get a booster at this time. Okay. Um, I kind of was like, yeah, this one shot, <laughs> this one shot that's on, you know, we got to carry, carry me through. But um, I think it's, it's only time will tell and really and truly and honestly, only time will tell that the, that whether it has the greater effect of it was positive or the greater effect of it has um, poses more challenges, but we won't, you know, we won't know that now. So, um, so that, that's been an interesting experience that, um, I feel like I still encounter, I interact with a lot of people who are not vaccinated and, um, I don't know, some, you know, depending on what circles I'm like, yeah, I'm vaccinated. <laughs> and, and other times it's like, yeah, you know, but I, you know, I really, if I'm honest, I got it more so for, um, the need to be able to connect and be around people, then I got it because I was, you know, personally fearful about getting the virus. I appreciate your honesty, right? Cause we all, not everyone wanted it. Some people got it just so they could be around uh, elderly people or people with underlying conditions. Um, and I just want to say, I looked at the article in the New York Times. So for anyone who's listening, it's called The Cruel Reality of Long COVID. Mm. And um, it was published on 
May, no. Oh, March, really? Huh. March 22nd, 2021. And I'll put a link in the show notes where this, um, he um, became mentally ill due to mm-hmm. getting COVID. Um, and I will say, I just heard a story today. Someone shared about, you know, losing their spouse mm-hmm. recently, you know, kind of like, and, and I think that's the other thing too, the other, other challenge I see with the vaccine is that the vaccine doesn't actually keep us from getting COVID. So, you know, there's people who are, um, in this case, you know, um, got infected with COVID, brought it home to their family, their spouse had an underlying condition and the spouse ended up passing away. Yeah. And like, just can you imagine like, you know, losing your spouse because it's like, I, I, you know, feeling like you, you took every precaution that you could and then you still ended up, even though I, you know, I, that person, I didn't pass from COVID, but I passed it on to my spouse and my spouse died of COVID. I, I, I can't imagine. And, and, and again, this is a, a black family who's now lost the father of that family. Mm. It's devastating. I know I got uh, COVID in uh, end of January and I'd gotten um, the Pfizer vaccine, the two shots and the booster shot last year. And so I think I got the Omicron variant where it's like a cold because oh. I was teaching in person and I remember I was on my way to work and I took the rapid test and it was positive. I was like, well, I can work, teach from home. So the kids were like in the classroom. I was at home and they put me like on the screen because I was like, it's just a cold. So when you said like, you can still get COVID even with the vaccine and the booster, yes, you can. And luckily for me, it was just a light cold and I never get sick. So I was like, okay, I know I got it. Um, mm. You're right. And I know a lot of people who don't get the vaccine and they say, because you can still get it. So why, that's one of the arguments, why get the, the vaccine? Um, is there anything else that you want to share about your experience living and working during COVID? Um, well, I want, again, thank you for, for having with me today. Uh, I, w- I would say maybe the one other thing that comes to mind is um, just really cherishing time with family now and, and my friends. You know, so I have I have had the opportunity to do a bit of traveling since the, the pandemic, domestic traveling. So, you know, the times that I've had with um, extended time with my parents, you know, the anniversary or, or going down to Atlanta, visiting my brother, or, uh, some friends of mine, you know, did a, a weekend vacation um, last summer, summer of 2021. And it just all has like more deeper meaning um, for me. Uh, I think the same vein and just when I think about COVID has forced me to really put thought towards like, what is the life that I want to create for myself? So I already knew prior to the pandemic, which is one of the reasons why I was in Australia (laughs) three months of medical is that I had the clarity that producing events is not what I want to do with the rest of my life. Producing events is not my gift, my calling. Now the anti-racism work, which I feel much more passionate about now, that's always been integrated into my event work. It was very much a, but it was a very kind of informal backstage part. Now it's very much to the forefront. So what does the anti-racism work look like? Um, Understanding that multiple streams of income are are critical. Don't have all your eggs in one basket because you never know when a global pandemic is going to come along and disrupt that. So, you know, I talked about the e-commerce thing. Um, and I think it's trusting the time. You know, I, I, that part of me that was running all over New York City, like a chicken with her head cut off, because I was doing business and being over here and being over there, and I got to make sure I'm in the mix. That has not returned for me. And I know that, you know, there's lots of people from the beginning, the moment the pandemic started, there were so many people trying to get back, got to get back to the way things were, get back things to normal. And I don't believe in going backwards with anything. I believe we can only go forward. And so I'm really trusting this time. Um, I'm not in a rush to get back to 
any version of the way things were, but to really allow the quiet space with God to be transformative into who is it that I'm really meant and want to be. And I wish that for everyone. There's so many people who have developed new, new businesses and new ideas and have written books and created art. And then like, oh, I didn't even talk about the metaverse. We, all, we in the metaverse now. Y'all. And because I think that it's important that the future for us is changing. The future is now. And particularly for Black people, um, we have historically been on the back end or trying to play catch up as these new features and technologies and ways of doing things, mostly because we haven't been granted access to them, but also because we, you know, um, in my experience, a lot of our culture is very fear-based. So if there's something new, uh, we got, you know, I don't, you know, we, it will, we will be late adopters to it. So I, I've taken this time to start getting into the metaverse. I just, I'm doing my first um, I guess you call it virtual event, but like my first event, I'm hosting a panel in the, in the metaverse next Saturday. Um, and so that's going to be really exciting. I, I'll share that with you. The, the Black MetaFest um, conference is happening this whole week, February uh, 21st to the 26th of 2022. So I just would encourage everyone as much as possible to use this time and space to reinvent yourself for any parts of your life that were not working or you wanted to see change or you have um, had a different vision around, you had a different vision for yourself and to get support in doing it. Because I know for me on any given day, I'm like, I want to do all these things. And the continuing the isolation that works from, from working from home, it's hard to focus sometimes. It's just hard for me to focus and sit down and say, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to work on these things. I'm going to take these actions because I have eight hours of unstructured time, (laughs) you know, that the co-working has been amazing. I co-work with people, um, but really just give yourself time and space to reinvent yourself. I want to thank you for, like, you encouraged me to come on camera because I was like, I'm not I'm not a, I'm a teacher, right? And I'm a writer. I'm not an actor or a spokesperson or influencer such as yourself. So thank you. You are influencer, so I don't, you don't stop playing. Where's your Black Queen Thriving sweatshirt? Where is yours? I need to get one. Yes, I will get one. Because I love it, the black and the pink. And I want you to tell our audience, where can we find your merchandise? Where can we find you on social media? I love it. I love it. So thank you. Thank you. This is, um, it's been exciting. You know, part of this has just been the process of creating again, which I think the creativity had kind of gotten kind of dormant before the pandemic. So just really part of the reinvention is allowing myself to create again. So you can find this Black Queen Thriving sweatshirt, and I'll show you a couple other pieces, but the brand is called America's Hot Sauce. Our pop-up shop is up now. Um, if you go to my Instagram page at Bernita Adele, the link is in my bio. Um, you can also find it if you can find it under our umbrella brand, which is humanintonation.com. That'll take you to the pop-up shop. Um, because as I said, we are the hot sauce. Black people are America's hot sauce. Uh, so this is a this is a, a gender neutral tea that we have. We also have women's fit tea. Um, this is one of our tote bags. The Black people, Black people are America's hot sauce tote bag is available. And then I think this one was your favorite, uh, Sonia. Uh, we have a hoodie for self-care is the revolution. I need to get that. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, um, and there's a few other items. There's a few other items in there as well. We just dropped the Black love is the revolution tea for Valentine's Day. And, um, and that's a girl, that's a whole nother conversation because these pandemic times have made it absolutely clear to me that part of this revolution is, um, girl, we didn't even talk about dating during a pandemic. (laughs) Uh, I think that part two. But the dating in the pandemic, you know, what that brought up for me was like, yeah, you know, this, all the, 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 where we are right now in society is um, it's really man-made and 
not but like not not man-made for black people mm. and so part of the work is I'm like yeah there is a partner out there for me there is the 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 family building for me because you know my probably my greatest vision of all beyond becoming the number one New York Times bestselling author and right, publishing my next article and building this community around America's hot sauce is is building a beautiful black family that's thriving I love that. I love talking to you. You're an inspiration to me. So thank you so much for your time. I will put all the links in the show notes in the podcast so that everyone can buy your t-shirts and your totes and your sweatshirt. I'm going to get a sweatshirt tonight. So thank you. And I'll just sign off and say thank you, everyone. I'm Sonia J. Killebrew, and this is Black America, and this is Black America and COVID-19.